0: VR pod... Uh, no, I can do this.
1: Yeah, you got this. Should I leave this in the edit? No. no. no I think I'm gonna... Now I have to. <sighs> got Bye. it. Um, alright. Uh, VR movie podcast called Craft
0: Services. At start of episode, we ask each other what Parth been eating. Hey, Parth, what have you been eating?
1: Oh, uh, thanks, man. <laughs> nice uh, to see you, by the way. I, I- yeah, yeah, good to see you, too. Long time no see. Um,
0: it was weird how there was that Russian voice at the beginning.
1: Yeah, who was that? Do you It, know it was or? some.
0: It was some sort of Gru versus uh, generic, you know, Soviet soldier mm, kind, of, right. kind of combination. I um. Uh, yeah, no, I do like really funny stand up. Yeah, no,
1: it's kind of... oh, hey, that that uh, ties Wait, in. Mo- uh, anyways, uh, I had five chocolate chip cookies. You couldn't stop before. Uh, I'll tell you, you why, monster. No, I'll tell you why i'll tell you why trent jesus uh well here's the deal i had lunch earlier in the day and then we were gonna do a a little interview with a fun guest who you'll find out later who that is yet
0: to be announced guest
1: yeah so uh it was just we were just about to do the interview and i was like "Hmm, i'm feeling a little hungry i don't want to do an interview hungry but i didn't feel like having actual food so i was like i think five small chocolate chip cookies from costco should do the trick
0: you know what they say about doing interviews on an empty stomach? Try to avoid it if possible.
1: That's, I mean, that's what I've heard. That's my, that's my creed. Um, Trent, what have, what have you been eating?
0: Uh, this morning I hit my head really hard yesterday while skiing. And so I was, I was supposed yeah, so I was supposed to go skiing again today, but I called that off. And since I couldn't do anything, you know, that physically intensive, um, I, because I may be concussed, to be determined. Don't tell my parents; uh, they'd worry. Um, don't they listen to this show? Uh, more so the discussions than the interviews. They just like to hear our, our playful discourse. They don't care about our
1: dulcet our, our, tones.
0: They don't care about our exciting uh, guests. Well, oh, okay. Um, well, basically me and, um, a female associate went to a dinosaur museum. A very good
1: friend, Trent?
0: Yes, yes. A a good friend of mine went to a dinosaur museum to look at some dinosaur bones, um, because Mm. that was a low-impact sport, and then we grabbed sandwiches, and it's nice in Utah, so we ate them on a park in Utah.
1: Well, that's enough of that, Trent. How about we cue the intro?
0: Cue the intro, Parth!
1: Welcome back to Craft Services. What we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film and hopefully have a member of that film. Well, this is just becoming Rus- uh, French now. Uh, hopefully have member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the movie.
0: This week, we had uh, the writer of S- King of Staten Island, uh, Dave Cyrus. Uh, he was an excellent man, and we really enjoyed having him on. Uh, all jokes, cool guy. All, all jokes aside, um, what, a, what, a, what a comedic person. Uh, he was nice enough to give us his time and his responses. Um, and you should listen to it. Well, you're already here. I feel like you. I I hope that. you do. You've kind of made that decision. You, you're, just stick
1: around, guys. It's gonna get better. I promise. You're
0: on the course to hearing the episode, as long as you don't turn us off in the next in the next few seconds.
1: What if we keep like delaying it? Like we just keep talking, and so they keep thinking we're gonna cut to the intro. But then every whenever I say cut to the intro, we never actually do. Oh, not not the intro, the interview. Sorry.
0: Are you suggesting that we stall the audience as if pist- postponing the inevitable, as if like you know filibustering, like trying to exactly trying to uh,
1: exactly? In I want to del- I want to use the democratic processes that we have at our disposal, uh, basically to screw around with our really nice listeners because why not? We're we're a successful podcast mate.
0: Yeah, and when as many as you know. Uh, triple-digit people come to listen to your show, you can kind of just uh, play with their emotions and waste their time. Um, it's almost like there aren't any competing movie podcasts that they could go give their time and attention to.
1: Not a single one, Trent. I'm glad you brought that up. We have no competition. We have cornered a very niche market of movie-related podcasts with interviews of people that work on movies.
0: Parth, I think we need to give ourselves a little credit. There are some interviews that only do, you know, roundtable general discussions, and then there are other you know solely interview based podcast and somehow we manage to uh to live a double life and do both
1: okay trent let me tell you what we do <laughs> welcome back to craft services Our show. where we talk about the movies each week we talk about film and hopefully have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the movie <laughs> uh this week we have the co-writer of king of Staten island dave cyrus he talked with us about working on the movie and uh it was pretty cool yeah
0: so that's how it's done, motherfuckers. I'd say this joke has 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 lived its entire lifespan, and now would be a good time to, You know, uh, you know, cut to the cut, cut cut to the interview. Cut to the interview with Dave Cyrus, the writer of King of Staten. Yeah, just draw it out, Trent. out. right, draw we're good. We got out all the info. Start the episode.
1: Cut to the interview.
0: Cue the interview start now go
1: at this moment go <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> alright that was pretty good you want- that was a good
1: bit Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with Dave Cyrus. He's a stand-up comic, writer, and producer who's worked on some things you may have heard of, such as Triumph of the Insult Comic Dog, SNL, and our film for today, Judd Apatow's The King of Staten Island. Thanks so much for coming on. Yes, thank you, guys. How are you? We're great. Outstanding. Thank you for asking. Um, So we just want to ask, what was your relationship with film at a young age?
2: Oh well, I watched many films as a child, uh, and TV shows. Sure, I can be specific if you need.
0: Please, Uh,
2: I definitely I know that like I watched a lot as a little kid. I watched a lot of like Little Rascals and uh, like Shirley Temple, like things from like you know decades before I was born. Just like because that's what was put on for me, and I mean I always kind of engaged and connected more with TV than reality. So I think that definitely pushed me toward the entertainment industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Especially as a kid, I definitely watched a lot of TV. Uh,
0: yeah, you were an American child. I read online that your favorite movie is Anchorman. Does that... Did kind they, of, yeah. Oh, is that no longer true? You can... you, you can- No, I
2: mean, it is. I just I don't really have like a definitive favorite movie. But yeah, pretty much. Um, I think it's... Yeah, it's really good. Uh, but yeah, that's definitely part of that is being more into like um, TV than movies growing up, I think.
0: So what was your first real writing job?
2: That was probably writing um, sort of this show on CBS.com, this so-called TV briefly, which like talked about other uh, TV shows on CBS. It was um, a weird job. It was kind of a weird place that, Definitely didn't exist for that long, but uh, called like CBS Interactive, which is definitely not what, what uh, which I guess now is what Paramount is. So, but yeah, I worked for them like in a very weird office environment and I wrote for that show. And then I didn't get like another like really professional writing job until sort of like the... I guess sort of the Justin Bieber roast. um, Though I was doing like a lot of stuff online, I was doing stuff on YouTube, and I was doing like interviews and you know performing, but not like
1: writing. Well, speaking but, of performing, we we wanted to ask how you uh, when when you started pursuing stand up, and how did that transition into more so writing behind the scenes?
2: I started writing. I started doing stand up when I was seventeen. Um, at like. April, like when I was like 17 years old, I, I did like an open, I did like a talent show at like a hotel, like a, like a resort type thing. And that was the first time I ever like performed in front of people. How did it go? I, I won. So it was good. Oh. Um, but it was, you know, I, I probably, I think it helped that I, I was 17. I looked maybe like 12, 13. That probably helped, made people more easily impressed. Uh, but yeah, and I just started doing open mics like in Jersey and doing shows in New York and stuff. You know, not doing that great, but just doing – but like, you know, doing well enough that like I was doing well at the shows I was doing. I just wasn't like getting offered like major shows. mm
0: mm-hmm. So did your I looked you up on YouTube and some of the first results are like you in roast battles with other people. Did that play mm-hmm. a role in you getting the Justin Bieber roast and have you worked on any subsequent roasts?
2: Um, well no, I was I worked in the Justin Bieber roast before roast battling was even like really a thing. I mean it was I guess it existed, but it wasn't like I didn't roast bat, I, I, I didn't roast battle until after that. So I wrote for the Justin Bieber roast first, and then I also wrote for the Rob Lowe and the Alec Baldwin roasts. Um, but the uh, my first roast battle was like right before I started doing SNL.
0: Just a quick question about the celebrity roast. Do the celebrities, like, Ms. there's like the whole panel of people, as I'm sure you know, uh, do they not write anything? Does it all come from writers behind the scenes?
2: Depends on the person. I mean, people who don't do comedy, aren't really usually aren't going to write much. Some do some insist on it, but uh, comedians tend to write a lot of what they're, what they're saying. Um, Like definitely like, you know, like Pete and I wrote, you know, almost everything. The vast majority of the jokes you saw him do. So he's writing a lot of his own stuff. I know like Natasha Leggero is, has writers also, but is also writing a lot. Uh, Rob Riggle, maybe he might've done it all himself. That's possible. I, I could see. I could see that have been just him. But yeah. Pr- but like you know, uh, I don't think Martha Stewart
1: wrote a lot of her own jokes. Mm-hmm. Understandable. Uh, so because you mentioned him, it kind of segues into another one of her questions, which is, how did your relationship with Pete Davidson start? And I believe from another interview that you said that you started working when he was eighteen together. Yeah.
2: Yeah. We met when he was eighteen doing a show at a VFW, and then. We um, started hanging out when he was can- he was in LA to film something. He didn't really know anyone there. We were hanging out, you know. We got along really well, and then we started writing stuff together because he had some offers. You know, I was able to help. Uh, I had more experience in writing, and you know, he had he was you know a very popular kind of like like he was about to become popular kind of getting opportunities. So it just worked out.
0: So, uh, transitioning into our main topic, The King of Staten Island, uh, whose idea was it to make the movie, and how was it decided that you would write the one of the drafts?
2: Well, that's not really how it works. Um, in yeah, that it explain wasn't... how it works. Yeah, no, no. We wrote dozens of drafts, all of us. Uh, we write B- Pete... Judd and I would write, uh first you spend a lot of time writing the the outline, a lot of time writing individual scenes, and just sort of compiling these hundreds of different versions of a movie, one of which ends up sort of becoming what, you know, along with a lot of the input from the actors and and being in the moment and how you apply it when you're actually on set. That's what really kind of compiles what the movie is. Judd had wanted to do a movie with the two of us, um, for years before Pete was on SNL, but it was canceled because Pete got SNL. And so then around like 2018, we, Pete and I had just written some other scripts uh, and Judd said he wanted to take a crack at writing something the three of us together again. Um, And so we just started the process of really just starting from the bottom and building a movie around Pete's sort of real life, sort of emotional uh, history in a fictional story. And we just sort of built it from that of just trying to just learn a lot about, you know, his childhood and, you know, who, you know, who he was and stuff and, and just sort of try to build a very accurately, uh, an accurately told fictional story.
0: So how were you, uh, first introduced to Judd Apatow?
2: Well, through Pete, uh, Pete had already worked. Well, not I don't know if it was, not not already, but Pete had worked with uh, Judd on Trainwreck. And that's what got Pete's uh, interest, that's what got both Judd and Lauren interested in Pete, really. Uh, so that's that's where he knew Judd. And so I knew Judd when I was working at SNL and uh, we had talked about some other ideas. We, we, we discussed a different script entirely uh, around 2016 that we, didn't, we never ended up uh, completing so, yeah, we've been kind of going back and forth about different ideas movie-wise for several years.
0: What was the 2016 script? I mean, just like a log line, if, if you don't mind my asking. Uh, gap
1: year. Um, so uh, you brought up the process of co-writing. Uh, how, how did you actually co-write? Was it sort of like you guys riffing off of each other and then just sort of writing a transcript of that? Or was it um, each of you sort of working lot on, on of... your own?
2: you spend a lot of time together discussing the major points of it. And then you would individually sort of start writing scenes and then you go back and forth between each other, writing different versions of what the last person wrote, changing whatever you wanted and then can sort of letting it evolve over time, basically.
0: So, uh, the, the final version of like the, the, the shooting script, like on set, did you end up doing a lot of like, Re, like rewrites as things were happening or were you just like finding yeah, like, dialogue are, and jokes thin- and stuff
2: yeah things are constantly getting rewritten day of every day we're writing multiple different versions of the scene we already have planned and then we're gonna have the actors do multiple versions
1: so uh on set um were you what was your role like your primary role while on set were you just sort of working on the script or were you like yeah if you could just speak on that
2: Yeah, I was writing alternate lines for whatever dialogue was going to happen that day, as well as sort of just, you know, paying attention to everything. It's sort of what, you know, kind of the producing part of it is, is you're just sort of watching things being like, hey, you know, is this going to match? Did we make a mistake here? You know, you're just, you just sort of have to be very aware of everything that's happening because... As a writer, you're one of the only people who's going to kind of be in a position to notice certain things might not be what you want. That person should have – why they shouldn't be saying hello to each other because they already met chronologically earlier, that sort of thing.
0: So were there any scenes in particular that you saw very specifically on the page and then in the, in the final picture were wildly different?
2: Everything was different. I'm sure. really um yeah there's all kinds of things that like because there's a very specific way you envision something and you very rarely see it exactly that way so yeah there's there's all kinds of stuff like that that you know you end up and usually it's better because it's in real life and now you you can it's something because there's just certain things you just can't predict until you see it and you don't know if it works until you see it so yeah there's a lot of stuff like that i mean i don't really think there's anything that specific because everything kind of is just the bones of something and then you really see it for real. And it's totally different. Um, like one of the scenes that was more mine in general uh, would be like the action Bronson scene. And there's a lot of specific, there's a lot of little things that I would have very much liked to have still made it, but just couldn't logistically. And there's other things that ended up being great that, you know, I wrote that day, you know, that I, you know, just in the moment, just trying to think of new things. What, what can this guy say?
0: Oh, yeah. I know uh, Apatow's, like, shooting style is very famously, like, let's do it a bunch of times, and we'll see what comes out of it, which I think is very cool.
2: Personally, I would have liked to have done more.
0: Really? Judd
2: Judd makes everyone do, like, three four takes, and you try it different ways, and it's really loose, and then he'll start maybe, and then he'll yell out, you know, stuff for you to just, like, you know, just alts that you would just, in the moment, just yell at the alts and have the person do it fresh. I my directing style is to slavishly just make people do it over and over again until i hear the one i want
1: Mm. Uh, a true david fincher if you will
2: yeah yeah except i want it to make sense
1: (laughs) um how long uh was the shooting screenplay and uh was there like a lot that got cut out because i think i remember seeing that like the original cut or the, like the first cut was about three hours long. And so was that mostly just fine tuning of jokes or were there First no cuts?
2: The first cut was a two and a half. Uh, okay. okay. The first cut that I was ever like aired for anyone was like 2.36 at the most. And that's because you're just trying to see which scenes you are working, which scenes are not, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, there was more uh, because you shoot a lot of things that you know you're not going to use all of. It's just you're, you're sort of just shooting different versions of like a, a, a mood that you're trying to establish, so yeah, there was definitely stuff. I mean, there's multiple endings that we shot. There are multiple, much more uh, co- coherently like ending endings than we actually wanted to use. So just because we wanted to shoot them, see how they would go. So like, there's multiple different versions of like what that tell more about what happens to the characters after you know after that than we actually ended up realizing was necessary.
1: How, how did you guys, like, arrive to the conclusion of, like, where the movie actually does end?
2: It's an editing decision, really. Um, it's something you decide when you actually see the footage and you're, you're sitting down and, and you know, trusting your instincts about where it should go.
0: So I heard you say in an interview that one of your favorite lines that got cut was Marissa Tomei pronouncing The Mask of Zaro. And... No, no.
2: Bill oh, well. uh, Powley.
0: Oh, so sorry. Someone announcing The Mask of Zorro. Yeah. Um, so what is your favorite joke that's like still in the movie? It, it doesn't have to be like that you wrote it yourself.
2: Well, it's definitely going to be one that I wrote myself. Uh, but, um, I mean, there's a lot of jokes I like. I I, 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 It's funny. I remember there was one version that was longer that this was cut from. And I remember saying, I was like, we cannot cut Ruby Tattoos Day. Like, I can't lose that. Come on.
0: Yeah, that's my uh, baby.
2: And I don't think there was going to get cut, but it just, there was a version that wasn't in and I was like, guys, guys, Jesus Christ. Um, I do like also, uh, just because other people have brought it up to me that I was, ha- and it's a, it's a joke that I wrote like the day of, which was uh, tell my sister, I know she's my mother.
1: <laughs> right. Uh,
0: I have a, a few like favorite lines that I picked out and I wanted to know okay. if you had, or is so the first, the first one, and I'll, I'll tell
2: you, sometimes it's hard to remember who wrote because you wrote like hundreds of versions. So like, there's literally lines that like I like that, and months later be like, oh yeah, I think I said that. I was like,
0: <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say if one of these rings a bell, I'll be happy. Yeah, the, the, let me the know. first one is fucking home run Todd when Pete asks just the the, the 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 fro kid at the party for weed. Uh, That's so, definitely Pete. Uh, the next one is the bedbug monologue um, between Pete and one of the fireman guys. Him, you know who will be left at the end of the day? The bed bugs.
2: I mean, Vecchione. Yeah, Vecchio did a great job with that. He definitely like would have. I know. I definitely he improvised sort of the arrangement of it. But the original, I know that I don't remember who wrote the bed bugs.
0: And riff, then though. the last thing was the concept of the waiters fighting with the Hulk hands for tips. I like that.
2: That, um, well, that was just something that happened to Pete. So oh, wow. Does, I don't
1: think they were. Did they wear Hulk hands? They might have. Uh, Yeah, I think that was just
2: a mostly true story.
0: Awesome. Uh,
1: So the movie's obviously called King of Staten Island, and we were wondering how much of the movie's actually shot on Staten Island. Pretty much everything.
0: Oh, really?
2: There's a few interiors that are shot on a stage, but almost everything's Staten Island. Uh,
0: So I read that this was the first script you've gotten produced, and I was wondering if there were any like full scripts that you've like poured your heart and soul into earlier in life that sadly did not get produced.
2: I, I've i sold, um, I'd sold two other scripts, you know, that actually like studio scripts that I'd sold before, but neither of which I poured anything into. So nothing that I was too attached to.
0: So in writing them, were you just like, I think this is what, the studio, the big studio heads are going to want, and then you just no. like,
2: no, I mean, I wrote it, I cared about what I was doing, and I tried to write as best I could. It just, but I wouldn't say that those, any of those, were particularly ones that I was very emotionally attached to because the, none of those were ones that I envisioned the premise of.
1: Um, so speaking of writing, um, obviously, as we mentioned before, you've worked uh, behind the scenes on SNL. And we were wondering how the writing process for that differed from your writing process on this or just like what the writing is like behind the scenes on SNL. Cause that'd just be cool to find out.
2: Well, it's much more um, individual in the sense that like you just have a script and you hand it in. There's not a lot of, there's not a lot of structure to that. If you write with someone, fine, not fine, but you write a script and you hand it in and then it gets read. So there's Basically, there's basically no real like overseeing or uh, sort of there's there's no real management of the script writing until after the read through. And then you would have it um, sort of just then you would have it sort of, you know, worked and you would have a table where you would have other writers there pitch on it before, you know, going to actual filming or preparing to do live.
0: So I read that you, like, write with Pete for his segments on Weekend Update, and mm-hmm. I was wondering, like, do you write, like, full s- sketches also, and how did you get involved with SNL in the first place? Or...
2: Well, I got hired by SNL just the same way, you know, anyone else would. I, you know, Pete had already been working there for one year, so that's why I was able to be one of the many people who submits a packet. I did, and I they chose the packet, uh, to to hire me with. Um, I, but no, I don't really write, uh, sketches in general. My main thing that I've written on SNL has been the, uh, the updates. I mean, when I, when I was a staff writer there in 2016, um, most of the sketch writing that I would, I'd gotten on was during like political sketches, cold open, stuff like that. Um, a lot of the election stuff. But since then, my writing on SNL has pretty much entirely been uh, the updates, which I've pretty much been writing with Pete since 2016.
1: Uh, so this is,
0: oh. Uh, I was just going to say, just out of curiosity, the staff packets, like how many like like sketches or like, like what do you submit in it? Like I'm sure it, it's a very defined amount. I think it's,
2: <laughs> uh, it changes a little bit, but I believe it's something like uh, two sketches, two live sketches, two, uh, pre-tapes a topical and then I also included a an update feature just because that was sort of a more specific thing I was being hired to do mm-hmm.
1: uh, I was just going to ask if you have any uh, Lorne Michael story you could tell us if you have any
2: hmm. he well I, I know that the prop that before covid everyone before the episode would all have to pile into his office so like the entire staff would be in his office before before and that, now they'll do it like on the stage where everyone could be separate but like before it was like you were every single person who works there was getting just packed into this office and i imagine it was not as packed you know before in the 40 years but you were completely sealed in to like, you know, forget like the final notes before the show. And I've been, so I've been, you know, pressed up against some very famous people in that room. Uh, Bernie Sanders, Al Sharpton, Mike Myers. Uh, So yeah, I've been, I've been pressed up against my share of of major people. I've been, Hillary Clinton was in there. You know, Trump was in there. Like I, you know, it's, yeah, I've been in that room with a lot of people. Yeah.
0: So, as an SNL writer, uh, what is like? Are you making changes the, the night of? Also,
2: well, yeah, especially because like you know, you, well, you have a dress rehearsal, and you're kind of also looking to how that does to decide what you're going to do to the sketch if there's anything you have to cut. And oftentimes, you have to cut for time anyway, where they're like, you need to make it 30 seconds shorter or something. Usually, when you when you write the sketch, it's with the intention that it's two pages longer than it's going to be when you do it oftentimes we cut huge swaths of, of updates right before we go on
1: I wanted to ask about uh, triumph the insult comic dog because my dad and I were really big we followed the 2016 stuff that I, I guess you were a part of and yeah. I wanted to just ask how'd you get a part of that and um, what was that like
2: uh, just submitting jokes to them as a you know a not as a random person uh, That was through my agent, I mean, but like as one of the many people who was just submitting, got lucky they liked it. And so I got hired for that, traveling around, going to like, you know, very, you know, weird stuff like, you know, the um, debates and the stuff. And uh, yeah, that was really cool because I really, really loved Triumph and Smigel's TV Funhouse work. So it was really, really a great experience, especially right after leaving SNL.
0: So I heard you say in another interview that you view movies as a delivery system for jokes. And I thought that that was ironic cuz I was like The King Staten Island is a it's it, it's a highly character driven, you know, mm-hmm. dramedy with uh, with some plot points. And so yeah. was was that difficult for you?
2: I mean, in a sense, it not, you know, I, I was able to adapt to that being the kind of story we were telling. There were definitely versions of scripts that were that that were, you know, just slapsticky, joke driven, you know, where every line is, you're looking for a way of saying it funny. Um, But that wasn't really what we were going for here. So, but yeah, I mean, my and Pete's sort of general style is much jokier, but Judd, you know, this Judd was directing and writing. So there's a lot of, you know, direction he can put into that. And, you know, he knows a little bit more about making films than we do. So like, this wasn't a story that, you know, we felt would be sustainable with the kind of, with that kind of instinct of, you know, making it too jokey, making it not real because that's what, because it it could be funnier, but you do, when you make something funnier, very often you are stretching and pulling away from the part of this that is letting someone lose themselves and believing it.
1: right. Um, so just sort of going back into the uh, drafts, I guess, because this is kind of a, a mirror to Pete Davidson's real life past a little bit. Um, did, how did you decide what would uh, sort of more accurately depict him and what to sort of uh, change for the movie? or what, you
2: know? Well, the only thing that we were just not even we, we didn't want to make a movie about Pete. And we certainly didn't want to make a movie about it, about comedy. We did not want to make a movie where a guy is a stand-up comedian. That was the, that was the only part of it that we were just really completely against. And so it just became more of a thing about, all right, well, who is Pete? Had he never done this? What would, what, what would he be like if he had never discovered a talent or had a talent in comedy and, and could sort of, you know, build his life off of that?
0: So speaking to your more recent uh, you know roast battles we were wondering like if if you're given a picture of a person and they're like that's how you, who you have to roast tomorrow if you have a sort mm-hmm. of philosophy or a system for coming up with like where to where to start for finding insults for any given individual
2: Mostly it's about just getting information about them because the information itself is where you're going to get the the opportunities to be funny, literally in the words, like you you basically sort of just start thinking of different sentences that describe this person accurately. And then you start seeing, well, what can I do with that? So it's almost like you're sort of writing out like how many different true things could I say that are specific to you? And then look at those things and say, and now how can I say something mean related to these things How can, or you start with, okay, I want to say something to the effect of this being something he should be ashamed of. And then, and you work backwards to how can that apply that to something related that is true about this person, that is specific to this person. And a lot of it is just, what is the initial reaction? What is the audience thinking about this person? What is something that they're going to not know anything about him, but they're going to hear that and go, yeah, that's true.
1: Uh, have you ever, I mean, obviously you don't need to name names or anything, but have you ever had like a person that you've roast, like react really terribly or have they, have they, for the most part been down?
2: I don't, I can't think of anyone who reacted really terribly. I mean, different people are better at it and different people are better at sort of what the, what the protocol is and sort of how you should act. I've seen people get really too, take it too seriously. And I think that really ruins it for me anyway. When they take it like they mean this, and they like that they're they're trying to like, and or or even worse, they're trying to make the audience think they really hate you, and it's like, yeah, that's just gross.
0: I, I was watching some some of your roasts, and I just thought like, while you aren't the person who's speaking, like, just like it must be so hard to like look busy, and you just have to like sit there and like brace for impact, and like try to not look offended, because if you look offended, then they won.
2: Right, but the thing is I don't, most comics I don't think really care about what you're saying. Some people do, and I feel like they shouldn't. But like no one's ever said something to me in a roast battle that hurt my feelings. You know what I mean? Like But yeah, but you do have to But yeah, you do have to also just sort of, you know, be poised because people are watching you. So you you're just you're supposed to not be awkward, which is a difficult thing for some people.
1: Um, so I guess just pivoting a little bit to some other stuff you've written for you were a writer for the politician puppet show. Um, let's be real. And, uh, what was that like?
2: Oh, that's great. Um, that's, you know, working, that's the same team as triumph. Uh, so those are, you know, some of the best writers I've ever worked with. Um, it's really, I mean, these are some like really heavy hitter kind of like high level writers like Andy Breckman who created Monk, uh, Andrew Weinberg who created Eagle Heart, uh, Brian rich, who was written for Borat and Bruno and, uh, or just a lot of Sasha Baron Cohen stuff. I mean, um, David Feldman, who is a very famous, deeply mentally ill, uh, comedian since the, the early nineties. Um, it, it was really great to work with like just so many people I love and uh, the episode and that will that show is coming back um We have really a great team on that too right now it's really it's really awesome um it's it's a very it's a very like sort of strict kind of writing too because you have it has to be about you go and make so many puppets. And you have to write sketches that are specific to these celebrity puppets. You use the puppets well. I mean, it's 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 not easy, but it's it's very you know it's really really fun, um, kind of kind of writing. And and it's like I don't love sketch writing, but I'm good at I think topical jokes, and that's where I sort of fit in.
0: Sure. So uh, pivoting a little, uh, you. Uh, your, your pseudonym, you have a pen name of Brick Stone, you know, an interview man. And uh, I was wondering, how would you get the idea for it? And what, uh, like, what was the first, quote, interview you did?
2: When I was a freshman in college, I joined a sketch group. And the first thing I did was create a character of a sleazy reporter making fun of Stone Phillips called Brick Stone, where it was just me trying to make a girl cry in an interview. And then I started lying to people on campus just to get the react mostly to get them to pretend that they knew something that wasn't real. Like asking them about news stories that didn't exist to see if I could get someone to bullshit their way through it. And I did that continually. I brought that back when YouTube, you know, years later with YouTube and then was like, this could work for like hate groups just because I saw like, people at comic-con trying to make fun of them and it was like they would make a big spectacle and have costumes and signs making fun of westboro and westboro would react to that with glee because they were like really excited that these people who hate them were drawing attention to them and i watched that and i thought i think i could i think i know a way they're not gonna like this That was essentially, I was like, I'm pretty sure I know a way to ruin the enjoyment they're getting from these protests is essentially what I went into it thinking.
0: It it seems like on on a small scale, you became somewhat uh, like the Brickstone videos have a lot of views and – I was wondering, has anyone ever like tried to punch you or something like while you were No,
2: no, oh, it's that- unfortunate. I wish they had. I really it was always ready for that. It would be an automatic, you know, jump in the in the views. So yeah,
0: that'd be really good material. Heard- Westboro
2: does not fight back. They do not get physical. One guy spit on someone once and was immediately kicked out. So they're just very they're nonviolent, mostly to protect themselves because otherwise they'll get torn to pieces. Uh, and when I've done the other the other groups that I've made fun of at like at like gay pride parades, other hate groups, no, I've never had anyone uh, try to get physical. I always wanted them
1: to. I guess I just have one last question about the movie, Trent. Mm-hmm. If you have anything else, yeah, you wanna... feel free. Uh, yeah. So obviously, the movie came out uh, under circumstances under which I don't think you guys were planning for. And I was wondering what it was like to sort of get the movie released. Um, sort of on streaming and what that was like for you.
2: I mean, it was weird, obviously, you know, everything about COVID and the, and the timing of it with the movie made it an interesting time for me because I was very lucky in that I was not suffering like so many other people from the pandemic and the lockdown and the disease itself. But I did miss out on a cartoonishly amazing few months that I've never experienced and may never in my life. In the sense that like I was right about to start getting like flown to South by Southwest and other film festivals and and going to premieres and going to comedy clubs and gloating constantly. Like there was a period of time that I lost, that I was going to have basically everything I'd been hoping to achieve. Um, so I kind of lost that stuff. Uh, but you're still very happy that things still worked out, especially when so few movies were able to actually successfully go and be pay-per-view during this. I was shocked that people were buying it.
0: I I was going to say your movie did particularly well on pay-per-view.
2: Yeah, I was, I I was like, is anyone going to buy a movie at all? I was like, "Is does anyone want to pay f- to see a movie when like the world is falling apart?" I was like, well, "Are they just buying trolls too as a babysitter?" Right. And so I was, yeah, I was really happy that like, like that it it did well and people liked it. I mean, it was basically when people ask what it's like, it was basically like watching a bullet whiz past your head.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it was great, uh, especially uh, during these times. I think people needed a comedy um, that sort of addressed some more serious things but uh, trent you want to ask the big one
0: yes the the big kahuna last question is what's the last great movie you watched and it can be a first viewing or a revisit
2: huh that's it's not easy
0: yeah brain blast take a minute the last
2: i'm so much better at listing what i hated um I'm trying to think,
1: like, what's the last new movie I really You can list want. something you disliked as well. We're, we're, we're happy to hear in anything.
2: I'm trying to stop doing that so much because every time I do, someone I have to, like, see again is involved. And it's just, mm-hmm. like, I want to make sure people know which movies are unforgivably bad. But, like, literally the last four in a row that I've seen someone whose feelings I have no reason to hurt is directly involved. And I'm so muzzled with my ability to explain. And one of them is one person in two movies and they were both so bad that I, it's not fair that I'm not allowed to just rant publicly about them. So, but a movie I liked, uh, let's see. (laughs) Oh, actually, okay, I, I, I actually do have a good He's answer. He's got I, it. I actually do have a good answer for that, was It, the the It and it Sequel. Those were much better than I expected.
0: I was just going to say, what did you think of It Chapter 2? Because as someone who really liked It Chapter 1, <clears throat> It Chapter 2.
2: Oh, I thought they were both good. I thought they were both fine. I thought that It is a very hard story to tell properly, especially later. Um, I thought the second one was kind of better. Because the first one excised almost all the events from the from the first part of the book, like the problem is, I'm not saying that you should keep them, but when you take out all the weird kid sex stuff, there's really not that much happening anymore when they're kids. They took out they took out all the stuff that like is super problematic now, but they didn't replace it with anything. And so there, there's no turtle. There's no. There's no group sex. There's no using homosexuality to identify the villains. All things I'm not saying you need to have in a movie or a book. But you need to have something else instead of it if that's what the movie's based on. And there's a lot of kid stuff in the in, in the second one. They go you still see a lot of scenes with the kids.
0: I was just gonna say, the turtle stuff happens in the second one.
2: So. No, it does no, someone says the word turtle while they're yeah. swimming. That is not a thing. That is that is barely a wink.
0: So have you read the thousand plus page it book? No. Yeah, Uh, because I think it is one of the books like Infinite Jest that like you buy really ambitiously and then and then you carry it around for a while and talk about how you're reading it and then you never actually get to reading it because it's so much of an undertaking. But you uh, you like the It movies. Great. Parth, do you want to bring us out?
1: Yeah, uh, I uh, thanks so much for being here. Um, It was great having you on that was Dave Cyrus and he worked on the, he, he was a writer for the King of Staten Island and he's worked on a bunch of other cool stuff that you should definitely check out. Uh, again, thanks so much for being here.
2: Thank you.
0: Well, Parth, uh, I what'd you think that was, of That was aggressive. What'd you think of that interview?
1: I thought it was very fine indeed. How about you, Trent?
0: Uh, I thought it was most stupendous. Um, what do we have planned next for, you know, all, all those all those little kids gathered around the, the radio at home for their little uh, well, uh for their little fireside chat with us. Part did you know uh, 98% of our listeners is under the age of 18? Is that true? kind of raises some cause for concern when we ex- mark all of our episodes explicitly not for kids, because we, uh, you know, uh, dabble in a little curse word every once in a while. We... Just
1: the one or two.
0: Because we don't care three. about the ratings. Or, four.
1: or five. Anyways, next week we're going to be discussing our thoughts on The King of Staten Island. Uh, we have a guest, right? I think. I yeah. hope. It's your Female friend, but
0: not without any subtext, This, but without any subtext. Yeah, no,
1: no very good, fr- not a very good friend, but a good friend nonetheless.
0: A, a, a female associate um, who, you know, has apparently. Maybe I'll be
1: living with her next year. We'll see. I don't know.
0: Yeah, Parth just signed a lease with this lady, and you know what they say. After you're, once you're living in the same apartment complex as uh, your female classmate, It might as well invite them on for the podcast to get, you know, their their thoughts on Judd Apatow's uh, latest, latest film.
1: It's weird that that's such a specific saying that's pretty well known, you know?
0: It's great how it directly applies to our current situation.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So uh, next week we're going to be talking King of Staten Island with Chloe Ditloff. Maybe we interviewed somebody just now that's really cool that you'll listen to later. I don't know. Maybe.
0: Yeah. It seems like we will be at liberty to disclose that information um, next next week. Um, So you just you know uh, hold on to your socks or
1: hold on to your seat belts or they'll be they'll be forcibly removed. And I'll take them. i'll eat them up
0: parth and i will personally come to your house remove your socks and then uh, escape um all under the cloak of darkness and you won't have a goddamn clue what transpired you'll think ah maybe i nuzzled off my socks in the middle of the night maybe they're under the covers under the mattress uh, under the bed but in reality uh, we took them and you're not getting them back ever
1: and we're out